Welcome to We're Totally Not Okay. But that's okay. A podcast about the intersection between mass media culture and mental health. I'm Kaylee Legrand. I'm Tanya Bevan. And today we're hurting a little bit. Just a little. But we're not alone in that. Our guest today, Afira, who is a visual artist, has agreed that we're all on that same plane and our bodies are aching. Hi, Afira. Hi, Kaylee. (laughs) How are you feeling? I'm hurting. (laughs) I feel you. We're all honest. Well, thank you for being honest. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. Mm -hmm. I've known you for a little while, and I know a little bit about your art, and um, I've been thankful enough to actually just sit down and chat your brain off, pun intended, people will understand later. (laughs) Um, So I'm really happy that you're here to share what you're doing and what your journey is with our audience members. Um, So to start off, if you can just tell us a little bit about what it is that you do with your art. I've never been on a podcast before, so I'm a little nervous. (laughs) Um, Bear with me. Um, (laughs) So I've been a visual artist since I was like nine or ten years old. But because um, I was in school full time and totally thought I was going to go into a very academic career, either in graduate studies or in law school and become a lawyer, I had no idea that eventually I'd be here um, practicing art full-time. But circumstances kind of led me into this place, and um, now I do paintings, photography, mixed medium, and I'm super excited that by next Wednesday, my sustainable clothing line will be officially out. What? Um, it's basically clothes that I got to design, uh, featuring, like, my original artwork, um, and for now it's, like, pretty simple designs, like tights and t-shirts, pocket tees, um, I do have dresses and tote bags and stuff like that, um, in line, but with time and more funding, that stuff will be out eventually, but for now, um, the more, like basic designs will be out first and it's taken so long so (laughs) I'm really excited that it's finally coming out and it's just been such a process to to be ethical and sustainable and be stubborn about it in in this industry because there's so much pressure to kind of just give in and like give into fast fashion and give into the fast way of getting things done even if it's not necessarily the right way and mm-hmm. to stick to your morals was definitely hard but I'm I'm glad I kind of stuck it through and hopefully um, the pieces look nice because I did uh, resend it after the samples came in right um, which is why like everything took like two times longer um, <laughs> and it's been a learning curve so I'm glad I'm finally here, and I'm sure there's more to learn, so we'll see how that goes. As there always is. I, Tanya, I have seen some of the the mock-ups from when you first started playing around with the idea, and love them. So at some point, maybe we'll have to collaborate and, like, get you to design art around our logo or something, and then we can make tote bags and collaborate. Yeah, totally. Totally. (laughs) Oh, we're punny. We're pain, but we're punny. So the artwork that you put on this sustainable clothing, Mm -hmm. um, is it stuff that you are planning on doing on commission? Is it stuff that you're pulling from old artwork? Do you have, are you open to either? Yeah, I'm open to either. So the ones that are done so far and have been used on the designs are previous original work. And a couple of them were actually done when um, I was just healing and I was creating like very original work and it wasn't for a commission. It wasn't for any other purpose except to kind of just like find an escape with art. Um, and then eventually the other pieces became inspired off of some projects I was in, like involved in. Uh, so yeah, like the, the two or three designs that are coming out now, they've all been like personal projects that came out and um, they aren't separate commission pieces, but they have been purchased as prints separately. So oftentimes, um, the pieces that we'll see on the clothing, they're available 
as prints as well. Um, and the paintings, the original is always going to be there. And it could possibly be on sale as well. Some originals I don't sell just because like I have a soft spot for them. But mm. some of them are definitely available. But it'll be more expensive than a print. You don't want to sell them because you have a soft spot and you don't want to like tarnish them with the business side? or No, I, I, I feel like I'm way too attached to some of my artwork. And it... Uh, oh, you mean just the original yeah, pieces the you original don't want to let go. But you'll sell yeah. prints. I'll sell prints. Okay. I've sold prints. <laughs> don't make that money, girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and if that's the case, I wouldn't have turned it into clothes. So I'm okay with um, like prints and be, it, the design being replicated for clothes and such. But I've, I'm definitely attached to the original pieces. I've come a long way though. Like during my solo show, I was getting like people were bidding really good money for some of those pieces and I made up an excuse to not sell it just because like, it was not ready to bid and like you know I remember when we were loading the pieces onto the truck that day for the show my mini little studio space just looked empty and I'm like whoa where are all the pieces that like were kind of my only friends for, for a long time oh when I was really sick so it just felt really empty and I'm like, I'm not ready to let go of this. Um, so when people wanted to purchase it, I'm like, actually, can we do an online bid? And I kind of ruined that because lesson learned, don't do an online bid, like sell your stuff when people want it in <laughs> and person. In person. Um, and apparently when they're drunk as well, but I make sure they weren't drunk and they still wanted it. And I a fierce business proposal. <laughs> I'm opening it up and taking a look. Get people drunk. drunk. Totally. Sell immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely good advice. <laughs> All right. Well, I have so many questions, even just based on what you've said so far. Um, but where I would like to start, uh, two places actually, if you can maybe talk a little bit about what it means to have sustainable clothing or what a sustainable clothing line is for those who aren't uh, super aware of what that means um, but then also I want to I want to know what that healing process was because we we mentioned it but none of our listener, listeners right. know what you were he- healing from and what that journey was like what you were sick with right um, I think I'll answer the second one first because okay. it'll lead into the first one cool awesome um, so just about three years ago I was in a bus crash I was in a go bus going home well, actually going to the university from square one, and it um, it fell off the guardrail upside down, and I was one of the only six passengers in that bus, so that was my near-death experience. And um, I don't really have too much of a recollection since I did get a brain injury and an amnesia from the incident. I don't really remember how it flipped or what happened, but um, I do know that the accident happened because the driver was texting and uh, the weather was perfectly clear. There was like literally no reason for it to happen except uh, carelessness, I guess. And um, I do remember the scene when um, I was initially unconscious, but the paramedics woke me up. Like, And I kind of remember that part very vaguely. And I kind of remember them going on about figuring out how to get me out because I was literally like underneath a giant bus and I was squished in it. So um, the method of extraction was really hard because sometimes when they extract you, um, they may have to like cut a leg or an arm because they're trying to figure out what is like less damage essentially. Um, And this, I swear, felt like a movie because I remember the scene where one of the paramedics, um, he seemed to have went against the rest of them and was like, no, like, I know I can get her out. And he looked right into my eyes. It felt like he looked into my soul and was like, you have to tell me that, like, you trust me and I'm going to get you out safe. And I was like, yeah, I, I trust you. Like, he's like, you have to repeat after me. And then he yanked me out and it was one yank and like, they didn't have to cut off my arms, my legs, or anything else, which was very likely to happen if he wasn't stubborn about just, like, pulling me out like that. So, um, I still haven't been able to write the letter to say thank you to him, because it's just one of those, like, super overwhelming things. Like, how do you really say thank you to the man that, like, pretty much saved your life, right? And, um, yeah, so that scene I remember, and that my heart rate was too high and they apparently were trying to like calm it down 
And there definitely was a moment where I thought, because there was just so much blood loss. Um, a woman died next to me on the scene, and my body was drenched in blood from my head. So it was very gory. And um, I just remember blood everywhere. So it was really, really traumatic. And there was a moment when they were rushing me to Sunnybrook where I thought, like, well, what if this is it? Like, you know, I'm not going to make it because it was just so traumatic. And I thought there's a chance. And I did have a certain peace in mind with saying, like, you know, I lived a pretty decent life. The only thing I'm really, like, upset about is my parents and my loved ones. Like, I'm sure they would be sad. But... I think my life was pretty decent, it's okay. Um, and there was a moment of acceptance there, but um, once we got to the hospital, I don't really know what happened to the paramedics, but that was the fastest I've ever seen an ER room work. Because <laughs> usually you're waiting there for like hours trying yeah. to be seen. But that was really fast. They stapled my head, which was super painful because there was mm-hmm. this way too much blood coming out of there. Yeah, because I guess they didn't take the time to give me any kind of like no. anesthetic. or. They're no. like, um, we would do stitches and like usually like freeze things before, but they're like, the blood There's loss no is just time. too much. There's no time. They're like, we're sorry, it's going to hurt. And yeah, it hurt. <laughs> it was very painful. Um, so they, they did that. And then I just remember all of them telling my parents that like, this was truly a miracle because they have no idea how I could have survived that. Cause I'm so small and a go bus is pretty giant. And, yeah. um, from my understanding, the only reason I kind of survived and the other woman didn't just based off of like, I was scouring all of the news articles written about this because it was covered pretty widely and from like OPP reports and whatever so I was just trying to make sense of what happened after um, and I was told that the woman who died she got squished under the tire because um, she got thrown out the window and she was squished by the tire whereas for me my face went bashing out the window but the seat kind of collapsed on me which made me like squished under the bus but not under the tire so that essentially kind of saved my life in many ways so I fractured my face and like I definitely didn't look like this um right after but um but it healed and a lot of this injuries I have now are much more invisible and not uh, like even the physical like scarring and stuff like that it's not too obvious um so that kind of was the incident that was a turning point in my life where I had basically three or four courses left in school. I was ready to graduate and apply to law school. And I was doing like art on the side and it was definitely a passion of mine, but it wasn't something I ever thought I would dedicate to full time. And um, after that incident, it was one month of brain injury protocol. So I was put in a dark room, um, no simulation, nothing to kind of, um, engage the brain with any stressor, so no light as well, mm. um, no reading, no TV, nothing. So thank God I had really awesome friends and family that were always visiting me and agreed to chill inside a dark room. Yes. Um, this was an interesting experience, um, but it was definitely one of the hardest points in my life because I had nothing to do, um, yet like one of the most traumatic things in my life just happened and I was reliving that night and I was just bombarded with like nightmares of like these flashbacks I would get and there was so much survivor guilt I would feel that you know that woman died and there was nothing I could do to help her even though logically I know yeah there's no way I could have helped her but it's really hard to accept that um so that's something that to be honest still torments me in many ways especially around the anniversary um But after that, I couldn't go back to school for the first year for sure because it was full-time rehab. Like, I had to say goodbye to friends and say hello to, like, physiotherapists and neurologists Mm -hmm. and, like, all sorts of medical professionals that I had... I used to never go to the doctor, so this was, like... (laughs) This is just, like, I've been to way too many doctors after that. And um, I kind of had to just start embracing that lifestyle, but... I definitely didn't embrace it in the beginning. There was so much denial. Um, and I, I would say I only started accepting what happened like earlier this year or like late last year 
because up until that point there was just so much denial that this incident happened and this is going to change the way I function and the way I go about my life um so that during that period um after one month of darkroom treatment was over I was finally allowed to kind of do things even though it was very limited um because I was in so much pain and um my eyes were so sensitive too with just noise so I couldn't even go out to like dinner with my friends without coming back home and just collapsing because I was so tired um and it was a very invisible injury in that that point because it was a brain injury and so you can't really show anyone what happened um earlier it was a bit easier because I looked very fragile but as time went on I kept looking physically better but I wasn't necessarily feeling better and mm-hmm. um that put me in this frustrating place of like repeating the story a thousand times to explain why I'm acting in particular ways um but yeah at that time art really was my only refuge so that kind of goes back to the original question of like how art was there for me for healing and what I said about like my only friends were my paintings (laughs) because they literally were my only friends um I lost a lot of friends in that year and I I used to work um for my student union I ran a community service group at York and I was like a super popular university kid and my job made me be constantly social and have like 50 friends I'm constantly keeping up with and it went from that to like complete isolation um and you really learn who your real friends are and that that type of lifestyle obviously isn't sustainable or is it real because I'm sure many of those friends um wouldn't have been my friends long term uh whether it was for an accident or not because over time you kind of realize that but Mm -hmm. it was traumatic to have those breakups all in a year like Mm -hmm. I just got out of almost dying and then I lose like most of my friendship circle and then um I can't go back into school and graduate so every time I see someone graduate that like who I was supposed to graduate with it would be kind of painful um so just a reminder of like all the loss and to and I wasn't in a strong enough space to handle it at that time so Art was really the only thing that I felt like was there for me because I've been able to lean back on it since I was a kid. And I don't know if I would be alive if it wasn't for it because I've definitely been suicidal after that um, because the flashbacks were so harsh um, and the guilt was intense. So it like to have something like art, I'm always so grateful that I had that because York University hasn't exactly been easy to navigate either. They have so many administration issues, so um, <laughs> they're a shit show. For That's any... another podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for any York student, shout out to York U. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I always wonder, like, if I did, if I wasn't an artist uh, and I was just a student that had no other talent, like, what would happen to me? Because I have nothing to fall back on. York is screwing over my education. So, um, yeah, and that's how art became a full-time thing because I started doing it just for therapy initially. Um, Wasn't really allowed to go outside, so I kept doing it uh, and didn't really feel like making new friends. So art kind of became literally my only friend. But over time... Um, I opened my Instagram and made it public. Uh, That's kind of like the first little micro step I made of like kind of exposing my art more to a larger audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that started gaining a bit more attraction. Um, A year later, there was a photojournalism opportunity in um, the middle of the jungle that I saw an ad for. And I was like oh my god, this is perfect for my tree hugger soul. Um, but I, I know my neurologists are going to flip out and there's no way I'm going to be allowed to do this. But um, at that time, I wasn't getting complete clearance to go back to school. And How long after? This was about a year after. A year after. Okay, because I was going to yeah. say, they it told you to stay in a dark after. room for right, a right, little right. while. It's like, I didn't get to go to the jungle. I think that's a good <laughs> trampoline move. Right, yeah. From one to the other. <laughs> No, no, it was about a year after. At this point, I was just, uh, it was shortly after I was doing rehab and stuff like that. But a year after, for anyone who's dealt with um, 
accidents and insurance problems it's not fun (laughs) and insurance companies are evil so they don't always approve your treatment plans even if you need it for physiotherapy and stuff like that and um so that was kind of the situation I was put in a year after because like anyone could notice the mental effect that the accident had but because I didn't have a broken arm or leg they didn't feel that like physiotherapy was necessary even though holistic healing is important and that's Mm -hmm. what the entire treatment team felt and I did have muscle and tissue injuries and neurological damage so that does require physical treatment but to them um, they were just like denying stuff like that so I wasn't getting the treatment I needed I wasn't working or had coverage to pay for it on my own and I couldn't really go back to school because York kind of messed up my system so I was in this place where I'm just like what am I doing here like I want to escape so when I applied for the internship it 100% was to escape and I was like I'm going to be living in a jungle this is so cool and I was (laughs) definitely nervous Uh, but I was like nature's gonna be healing I'll figure it out and worst case scenario I come back Um, but at least I know I gave it a shot and at least I get a chance away from here Um, So the company I applied for, they're called Kaliyala, and they are pretty, like a lot of people in the States know about them. Most of our interns were from there, and they are trying to become the world's most sustainable eco-village. So they're building an off-grid community filled with like kind of hippie-like students (laughs) and uh, that just care about the environment and sustainability. Um, and there was like a whole academic section to this company where they offered a whole bunch of programs on whether it was called media or design thinking or agriculture. So people from whatever interests they, they were into, they would apply and it was pretty competitive. And then you go through like an interview process. And then if they feel like you're a good fit, then you go through like the next steps pretty much. So I applied and I was like, I don't know if I will get in. I have no idea. Um, And then I got an interview and my specific supervisor for the media program, Carly, I love her. That's who I said you remind me of. Um, Oh yeah, uh, you showed me a picture. Yeah. I see the similarity. Um, And she sounds really cool. She is very cool. (laughs) And she was a huge reason I wanted to apply because she was like a former editor at Huffington Post and she was leaving that position to take over the media lab um, in the middle of a jungle and she was going to teach us about photography and journalism, Um, more so journalism, that was her thing. So I was like, this is such a crazy opportunity if I get in. Like, it'd be wonderful to learn under someone like her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she made the applications, like, even more hard. Like, after we got in, she made us, like, submit another application. So I was like, oh, my God. Um, but eventually I got in, which was a huge shocker. And then I convinced my parents to let me go, which I still don't know how it happened because my family's very conservative. And, and your <laughs> neurologists were okay with it. They were. Um, like, my a lot of psychotherapist was okay with it. She thought that... Great. It would be like a good change of pace and, and she noticed that I was becoming depressed with like physiotherapy not being approved and not being able to go back to school. So yeah, my psychotherapist was totally encouraging of it, but she was like, when you're there and you're back in the city, give me calls, like let's do sessions over Skype or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep in touch and while you're there, try to get physiotherapy um, when you're in the city, like go find a hospital that you can get physiotherapy from. So I was like, okay. Um, but the rest of the doctors were like hesitant um, because of just the physical exhaustion so I sent them my medical records and said like I'm coming in with quite the baggage and <laughs> like literally and figuratively so um that's the best possible way to enter into any relationship <laughs> here is how honest I am yeah all the baggage because I knew it's not going to be easy right like mm-hmm. I figured it's not going to be easy for anyone if you're going to be going to live in the middle of a jungle and um, you're going to be living with like 80 other students in a very communal kind of living style there isn't really wi-fi there um so i i knew it was be different but uh when i was a lot younger i lived in like rural sri lanka during the ceasefire so 
like 12 year old me was used to living in like very rural villages so I knew that I'm not going to be pretentious in this place and I know how to travel like that so I was confident that I could like figure it out in terms of that end but I was nervous about the pain and the tremors and Mm -hmm. the depression and I've never traveled after that or did anything really so I didn't know how it was going to play out um so when I got there, it was great because I guess there was like this high from just getting out of um, doctors and treatments and being in nature. So the first week was nice, but um, slowly we could definitely see like the effect it had on me because my eyes are still very sensitive to light. Like my eyes just tear up when I look at the sun or at night when I'm driving and the, the light glares at me, uh, other car lights. So when my occupational therapist back home is saying, try to be in a dark room, I'm like, well, I live outdoors, so there is no dark room to be in, you know? Can't shade the moon. (laughs) No. (laughs) And um, even while we're in the city, like the the house that the interns lived in, it was just very open concept. So to find a dark room even there was difficult. Um, And we slowly just saw me like kind of deteriorating and... Uh, the media team who I lived with, um, they all knew about my condition. So uh, there was eight of us that lived together and we traveled together in and out of the off-grid community. And like the staff knew as well, but it was just that there was only so much you could do to um, help someone that had such a unique kind of injury uh they would help with making sure I don't do the crazy hikes like they'd give me a ride in instead um so I wasn't doing any like extreme physical activity that would put me in pain but things like shutting out light and um helping the pain there wasn't much that people knew how to do there was only so much the nurse uh, we had a community nurse that lived with us as well and it was all helpful but I would still wake up every night with nightmares um, the insomnia didn't really go away even there was the uh, did the nurse administer any kind of medication or were you on some sort of prescribed medication I wasn't on medication like I'm so I was supposed to be on quite a few pharmaceutical medications but I wasn't a really big fan of it because if I were to take them, I'm just in bed all day. I'm just exhausted because the side effects from the medication was exhausting me more than my condition. So that wasn't something I was willing to entertain, especially there. The nurse sometimes did give me like sleeping meds. Um, They didn't really do much. And I was on Zopiclone when I came back here because my neuropsychiatrist tried to like reset my sleep cycle. What's Zopiclone? It's this really intense um, sleeping medication. And they give it to essentially do that, like reset people's messed up sleep cycles. It's really strong. People become very addictive to it, so they don't let you take it after 10 days, which is why it's very monitored. Mm -hmm. And I can totally see how someone could become addicted to it because you feel this, like you're very goofy and like aloof at night, like right before you pass out. Um, so I, I can see why it's controlled, but oh, wow. even that didn't reset the insomnia. Wow. So, um, yeah, I have no, I still have insomnia and I have no idea when it's going to be like back to normal. But how, how many hours of sleep a night do you get or what's your like sleeping patterns like? It used to, so when I was at its worst, it was, I would go to sleep, I'd wake up at 3.30 to 4 a.m. And then I would wake up every single hour until... I get out of bed, which is at 9 or 10 a.m., mm-hmm. but I haven't, like, slept well, and if I'm going to bed around, like, 10 or 11 o'clock, so you can imagine that isn't enough sleep at all, yeah. and then now we're finally at the point where I'm not waking up every hour, three years down the road, um, but I do wake up uncontrollably at, like, 4 a.m. It's, like, this internal clock, and I'll just shoot up awake, and more often than not, it's accompanied with nightmares, but... Um, it isn't like I'll take it over waking up every single hour and uh, so I'll try to go back to sleep but sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't usually I am able to get back to sleep but like there's a good hour or so of interruption in the middle Um, but yeah during my internship I basically just became too sick and the fact that I was physically incapable of really being there made me emotionally depressed Mm -hmm. and um, it got to the point where eventually like my supervisors said that 
you could go back home and like take care of your health because you won't have coverage in Panama. But um, once you're better, you can come back and join us the next semester. And, you know, we'll be happy to have you back on board because we know it was like a health issue and it wasn't because you were partying in bogus or something. So <laughs> we totally get But it. were you? <laughs> I really wasn't. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. And um, I was really depressed because of that. I felt like, you know, I disappointed myself. I would be lying if I said I didn't completely see it coming because I knew it was like quite ambitious to, to try that. But, um, like, I think it's cool that you still went for it, even though you thought that there was uh, a chance that you would not complete it. I was going to say, like, fail to complete, but I don't want to use the word word fail because you you still put yourself out there. And, yeah, there are so many more insurmountable challenges to get over, even just to get there. And you managed to say fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to convince mm-hmm. my neurologist. I'm going to convince my parents. I'm going to go through the interview process. I'm going to go through the second interview process. And you get there and you still, no matter what, you still went and you did what you could and you tried. Okay. And I think that's admirable. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, my supervisor, something she said that was really encouraging was she's like, in the journalism world, we call your story the evergreen story where like it never has like a deadline like you know when an incident happens you have to report it right away or else it's done like the timeline to report that story but stories about environmental sustainability and young farmers which is what my focus was on during my project she's like you can record it anytime because with climate change and like the ongoing crisis we have going you can literally take forever and it will still be like mm-hmm. it'll still be relevant um so which is a good thing it also is a good. sad thing it's like this is still gonna be a problem that we're gonna have to fight for years <laughs> down the road <laughs> exactly so uh yeah so that was kind of depressing but at least i i had that and i did come home and i continued like working on the story um but it was really depressing leaving because I had to say goodbye to my team really early and I didn't know if I'm ever going to really see them again because these are all new people I met um and I was sad that I felt like I couldn't do something I put my mind to and up until that point in my life I never really had a problem with that like I was pretty high functioning throughout university um and yeah, just feeling like, oh, well, my medical team and my parents are right. And, you know, I wonder what else they're going to stop me from doing in the future because they're going to be like, hey, like you tried this and it failed. So I didn't want my health to be like a constant reason to set me back as well because of this. But um, do you look at it that way? No, not anymore. But I think at the time I did. Um, and I remember like breaking down with the dean of the institute and he like had to sit me down. He's like, this isn't you. This is your depression. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, was like, he was really awesome about that. Um, and they were like, they welcomed me back um, happily when I went back a year after to kind of like... Oh, so you did go back. I did go back. And I'm going back next week. Oh, that's Uh, exciting. How long are you going for? Uh, I'll be going back this time for a month. Um, So, yeah, and and I'm in like a better kind of place every time I go back. And it helps that I know the country a bit more now than like the first time where Mm -hmm. my condition was new, but also just like traveling alone and all of that was new. So now... I know people there, I have local friends, like it's much different. I know where the hospital is and they have, Uber is like really big there. So okay. yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. It's half the price and it's Let's like move. crazy popular. <laughs> I think you'd love it. Right. I, hey, maybe I'll just go be an Uber I'll be your driver. I'll go with you and be your official driver. <laughs> then my mom would say yes. <laughs> so are you going back to focus on the same thing, on sustainability for your um, it, it is about sustainability, but not specifically my project. I'm going to be working on parts of my project for sure because it's still not completely done yet, like the academic um, part of it, because it ended up being like a really big research project. I was interviewing like professors from Ivy League schools that were teaching young farmers about sustainable agriculture, and it became bigger than I imagined it to be initially. Um, But I feel like I still struggle with things that are more academic than that are like visually inclined. So... The photography end of it is like pretty much done and I did most of that on my first trip but the academic end of it is just like being dragged on because whether it's anxiety or like an actual cognitive inability to know how to finish it I'm not sure 
Um, I think it's a mix of both, really. I, I struggle with that, uh, but I am a part of like other projects there. Um, a project that really inspired the clothing brand was um, I got scouted um, to be a part of the small group of artists uh, or a collective that were raising awareness through storytelling um, about the indigenous islands in Panama that are going underwater in less than 20 years because of climate change. So the children there, um, they won't have the home that they know and that they're raised in. So they're going to be one of, like, they're going to be one of the first environment environmental refugees. Um, so I got to spend some time in Playa Chico, which is the island that we're focusing on. And it's a very remote island um, with the indigenous community. And it's com- the indigenous a- a community there are very autonomous. So um, they, like only they can open up resorts there or um, like tourist lodges and stuff like that. And I think that also makes the Panamanian government not really give a shit about them and the fact that their islands are going underwater. Because I'm sure if this was Bocas del Toro, which is like a huge tourist island, like they would care because there's quite a significant income that would be coming from that. Whereas Mm. this is just people living in harmony with nature, yet they have to suffer the consequences. And um, more um, more than my internship, which was great, this really touched me and it made me become way more eco-conscious um, and that inspired like the clothing line as well because the time I got to spend with the kids and photographing their day-to-day lives was just so special to me. I think a part of it is because like I come from a family of refugees. My parents fled a genocide in Sri Lanka and um, it was a brutal war so oftentimes when I see documentaries and what went back went on back home and I think like I could have been slaughtered in that or I could have died in that and we were lucky enough to escape that and be here and then I see these kids that are about to become displaced as well um, even though I come from like literally halfway across the world there is this sense of connection there and um, that really touched me and made me be like okay what am I doing and how can I contribute I know my skills are not in farming so (laughs) even though my story was on farmers I know that's not where my skills are Um, so I was like how can I play a role in this and um I was like kind of just picked my brains uh I was inspired by some of my co-interns as well who, who really encouraged my artwork and always thought it would look good on clothing but I'm like, okay, so clothing, art, uh, sustainability, and then it kind of like light bulb, it has to be sustainable fashion then. And um, then I kind of just started uh, volunteering with, with um, Fashion Takes Action in, in Toronto and um, like volunteering with other sustainable designers, like leading designers and I'm completely self-taught, right? So it was just a lot of learning from other experts, um, volunteering, doing free photo shoots and trying to like grasp all the information I could in that industry because I'm going in with like nothing and um, trying to figure it out. And I, I learned that the fast fashion industry is one of the most harmful um, things for the environment. A lot of people kind of just think it's oil and pollution, but fashion is terrible. So um, so what I, is like, sustainable fashion like? for people who wouldn't know what's sustainable. sustainable fashion is basically slow and usually ethical fashion I don't know any sustainable designers that use like slave labor because that'd be weird but uh, <laughs> it's usually implied so no slave labor okay <laughs> so no slave labor or um, child labor you know mm-hmm. so it's usually paying your employees um fair wages so you're not only using sustainable fabric but also you're making your employees live a sustainable lifestyle um so i think that is usually like a conscious decision that any sustainable designer i know um is huge on and um using sustainable fabric so that includes organic cotton of recycled polyester uh there's so much more uh, that's out there, but these are the two fabrics that I'm working with, so I'm a bit more familiar with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I recently learned that bamboo is coming off the sustainability index. Why is that? Um, Because apparently the processing, by the time it becomes clothing, there's just too much chemicals involved. I've been told this. 
So because bamboo is I, I, well, it's, maybe because like, it's become such a trend yeah. and that mass production probably right. accelerated it going down the pipeline, <laughs> it becoming less sustainable because it's it's such a trend. It's in everything now. You can have a bamboo uh, mattress. You can have bamboo right. clothing. Bed sheets, everything. Yeah. Everything can be made from bamboo, yeah. and it's not. I think it probably started off as something that was that alternative, um, more attractive, sustainable source. Right. And now it's like, well, we just need more of it because money. It's money, yeah. yeah. And um, something with the production aspect of it, the amount of chemicals that are apparently used, um, I I don't think I can go into too much detail just because I don't know much about it. Mm-hmm. As soon as I found this out from a source that I really trust and when she explained it to me, I'm like, all right, I probably gonna scratch that out too and I was frustrated because I was very close to producing like bamboo clothing and then I'm like okay scratch that but I know like hemp is an option that people use but organic cotton and um, recycled fabric in whatever kind is like big and initially when I had the idea to start a sustainable clothing brand I wanted to do upcycled clothes because I thought that's super exciting just using old fabric from like your used garments and putting it together and making an original masterpiece but um i was told by like marketing experts uh that that's not the smartest move to start the clothing line with just because like that's a very like niche niche kind of product and it would be better if i started a clothing line with new clothes and then introduced that as like a specialty line right. uh, once I have a brand that's Collector a bitter side. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and it, and that is like the most sustainable because you're literally using zero new material um, and you're employing someone for making it. Um, so it's doing like zero damage, which is so exciting. But I'm really excited about recycled polyester because that's what the tights are made out of. And that's basically like your soda cans and all of that being turned into clothes, like that just that's blows my neat. mind. <laughs> so I want soda can tights. <laughs> Mom, I'm wearing soda cans. <laughs> no one can see what I'm doing on the podcast, which is great. Again, I do that often. <laughs> but I've seen some of the prints and they're gorgeous. I can't wait. I yeah, so it's it's exciting to think like, oh, like look at all the things that we can do with um, environmental damage and how innovative we can be. Um, so I think there's so many like career growths even for people um, while trying to make a difference. I recently got connected to someone. Have you heard of Air Inc? No. Air Inc. I so, don't think so. Um, India has one of the largest pollutions because just like traffic and everything. Mm-hmm. And there's this, I'm not, I'm not really sure. He's, he's a student from MIT and he basically is turning the pollution into ink. Um, and hmm. in his labs, so from the air, from the air, from like, like car pollution, truck yeah. pollution, He's like writing into, inks and like uh, computer ink. No, like ink for like artists to use. Oh, cool. uh, to paint with. And he's like, uh, he was, he's doing all these like Ted talks and his lab has like become pretty famous. I like looked into it and it's just so exciting how, uh, there's so many possibilities for artists to take that ink from pollution and like turn it into art. Right. So, uh, one of my friends connected me to him because she was in touch with them and he was looking for a designer to work with. Um, and she knew that I would definitely be interested in working with him. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'm so down. And we just connected over emails recently. I'm still waiting to like properly talk with them, but just looking at his videos and what he's creating, it's insane. Uh, the fact that that can be turned into artwork, um, not just for clothing, but just for canvases or anything. Um, and I talked to my production house about it as well. And even they're interested in working with him in the future. So the possibilities are endless of like. But he's making this ink only for artists. Like he's not selling it to 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 retailers. He's not selling it to Bic to put into. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure. (laughs) I don't know, but maybe like. uh, Which is fine. Show you his website after. Yeah, I think like anyone can really contact him to see if they if he'd be open to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, maybe it would make quite an impact if started using like ink like that i think it'd be a smart yeah. business move for them yeah. hey, Bic, you're welcome <laughs> that would be very cool if they could start being sustainable yeah really so 
that's your focus right now with your work is yeah. is that amalgamation of the fine art that you started with, the paintings, the art that you that helped you start that road down therapy with and and amalgamating it with fashion and right. the sustainability that you want to bring to the world of fashion. That's your focus right now. Yeah, pretty much. Like I still do photography and I still create original paintings and uh, I'm really into mixed media these days, which is um, creating a painting and then merging it with photography and digitally painting it over in Photoshop. So you've seen some of those pieces. Oh, God, I love those too. Yeah, on the clothes. Um, So I'm I'm really into that and I'm teaching myself how to digitally paint um, on Photoshop. Not so, as easy as it looks. No, it's not. <laughs> especially when you're using like a trackpad or a mouse. Because yeah, you need yeah. like an actual pen for it, which I need to buy. So It's such a different skill from the actual physical painting world. Moving into it digital, but like trying is. to cross, like syndicate the pad as if you are making a simulation of painting. What it would be represented like in the real world. But now it's up there on the screen and you're not even... Looking at and where you do animations with it, like it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that's that's the piece. It's one of the pieces I like animated that you commented on for the so cool. for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's so cool what you can do with like digital art, and um, it's more sustainable too because you're not wasting more canvases and paint and stuff like that. Because I am trying to look into more um, natural based paint for like future because I know that obviously toxic paint isn't the best. So. I am reducing the amount of paintings I'm making and being a bit more mindful of that. Um, But I stopped shopping at retail stores for clothes. So that was like my major difference when I started um, saying that I'm going to commit to this brand. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, well, I can't be a hypocrite. So like I can only shop from sustainable designers or use the clothes I already have from buying unsustainably for so long since I'm sure there is enough. Or buy secondhand, um, and yeah, often that means like shopping online because uh, there's better sustainable designers online, and even like um, secondhand stores like ThreadUp is a shop that I've I've like bought dresses from if I've needed to buy dresses. Thread up. Thread is that up. a shop here yeah. in Toronto? Mm, I don't know. They're not based in Toronto, but okay. they do ship here. Um, it's it's an online. Store. It's an online. Okay used clothing store but they just have better options than when you walk into like value village for yeah example, it's so overwhelming just, in there too it is so overwhelming guys in there. don't like, be uh, dissing <laughs> i can't it's just i love it but it's just so it's overwhelming every <laughs> wardrobe for every indie movie in toronto yeah. probably bought bought from there yeah yeah. Uh, yeah i don't know so but there are there are really cool sustainable designers based in Toronto that I got to volunteer with. So cool. Well, we'll definitely plug some of your favorite <laughs> places to shop so that other people can wait. Is that your one cool thing? Is shopping sustainably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's a way you can make a difference. <laughs> so many one cool things. I, I know. Ink is so awesome. Okay. Well, my one cool thing for this episode was if your I brought her in. <laughs> Shock on that. Yeah. <laughs> no, we will mention. Um, if you have some of your favorite ones that you can send over, we can put yeah. it in the show notes so people have an idea of where mm-hmm. to shop if they want to make their wardrobe more sustainable. Yeah. Uh, and we'll also provide links to all of your social medias and, and what you might be coming up with next. So if you have anything, do you have like a show or something? I know you're leaving too, but do you have something that you want to plug? Uh, honestly, just the, the clothing brand. I think that would be the most exciting thing that's coming up soon. Cool, yeah. And that's coming up next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, I'm getting the clothes in, so it okay. won't be, like, Ooh, able fun. to be purchased next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the online store will be up within within two months for sure. So, okay, cool. Um, and I am thinking of having, like, a launch event, so that I'll keep awesome. you posted yeah, about so when cool. it happens. What's your, what's your clothing line called? It's called Afira. So oh, it's I love just, it. just my so first name. Yeah. Nice. yeah, so I figured the whole brand can go under that. Yeah, very cool. Along with your artwork. Yeah, so everything kind of just goes under there. I, I did take a break from like photography commissions and such while focusing on this. Um, mostly because of my health, because if this was the old me, then I could have totally handled that. But now I can't. Like, I'm just in way too much chronic pain often to 
handle that. So thank God I live with my parents and they like financially helped me out to be able to mm-hmm. be an artist with a disability because I think being an artist itself is hard to be lucrative and then when you have a disability it's just that much harder. Yeah. <laughs> True. Well thank you so much for joining us. Hey before we go what's your one cool thing? Baths? <laughs> <laughs> Did not sound convincing. Yes. I clean myself and that makes me cool. Well, um, this year I I too have I an invisible illness. Um I have something called tuberous sclerosis. Um, okay. So uh I've I've been on medications that have been making me depressed and all that stuff. So I've started taking these crystal baths. So I have like healing crystals. I've been getting into spiritual type stuff so I'm learning about crystals and like which ones are good for love what what's good for strength and mind power and da 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 da, da. so I'll, I'll listen to like meditation while I'm in the bath and have like these healing crystals and like candles around and just when I'm having stressful days that's what I do and that's my one cool thing I guess is, <laughs> is it working I think so it depends on the day but like, like you know it's just like some days are so much easier than others and then yeah. you just I'm just trying to get in this mon- positive mindset of every day is a new day. Right. You just got to take it one day at a time. It seems to be helping, but it's just more so it takes 30 days to make or break a routine. So it's like just trying to keep in routine of doing it or keeping a positive mindset on on life. Right, and being consistent about it. Yeah, and being consistent. I don't think I've ever met that 30-day I tried to live. (laughs) I've been trying to do a 30-day squat challenge. (laughs) Did you? I got to like, no, I got to day 10, and then I'm like, (laughs) oh, is that your schedule? (laughs) What's the wall that you pointed to? (laughs) 30-day booty challenge. Got to day 10, that's about it. My cool thing, my one cool thing is the opposite of yours, not not so much the idea that every day is a new day, but every night is a new night. Okay. Um, my sleep routine, because I also have insomnia, and right. I've told you about my brain injuries. Uh, I'm not sure if I've mentioned them on the podcast before. Another day, guys. Uh, I've been hit in the head a bunch of times. There's some story. Um, and <laughs> in really scary ways. <laughs> in, yeah, Afira knows the story. In scary, like super fun, great dramatic stories. I'll tell everybody someday soon. Um, and 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 so my insomnia has been that for a pretty long time too. And I've tried um, a bunch of different methods to help me deal with going into the dream world because. Right. I also just have a convoluted relationship with the dream world. Do you get intense dreams like 10 minutes into sleep? I I wouldn't be able to tell you when they are in my... I, you know, I think that they are closer to when I'm about to wake up. Mind you, that doesn't say anything about okay. how long into the sleep yeah. session it is. Yeah, right. <laughs> usually Especially if you have insomnia. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I used to wake up like every 20 minutes. When I was in university, I, oh I just don't remember having a good night's sleep. Um, so my focus has been on my sleep routine and it's definitely not something I've been able to do for 30 days straight, like not having a glass of wine before I go to bed. Um, that happened last night, but I usually have my stretches of like not hanging out with Tanya or Tiana who will drink wine. Uh, tonight's going to be a different story, but, um, I also bought a salt lamp that is supposed to help sort of in, God, I'm going to botch the explanation. I'll just find a link to what the science behind it actually is. Something about like dehumidifying the, the air um, so it, it sucks all the moisture out of the air oh, uh, cool. and it, and changes, I don't know, the iodine levels. I'll find out and I'll post it for all y'all. Um, but it also has been a weird experiment having an actual light on while I sleep. So sometimes I'll, I'll have to get up, like it wakes me up just having that light on and I can't sleep and I'll have to turn it off. Um, but I've also been trying couple different techniques to help me I've been doing meditation to help me relax and be able to calm every part of my body doing a my uh, body scan like starting with the top chakra yeah mindfulness I, I I think I spoke about an app that I used in a former episode but I'll do a body scan going down my entire body and sometimes if it's not enough I'll actually like tense every part of my body as I go down and then release those mm-hmm. muscles yeah. to see if I can um, fall into a deeper relaxation. Um, or I have also been starting, this also comes from Lewis. I know we've mentioned Lewis on the podcast and he's coming up as one of our guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my coaches, acting coach, um, 
my dreamy well awake coach <laughs> I feel like we need to refer to him as that it's what he calls acting um, we've been talking about lucid dreaming with him and he's been able to make it work for himself he's been able to have lucid dreams and his technique what he has said has worked for him is looking at your hands once you're relaxed in bed and laying down and calm you look at your hands and with your gaze you trace the outline of your hand of your fingers all the way around and back again until you fall asleep you don't actually try to fall asleep you just focus on that and I we didn't get too deep into the actual discussion as to why it works uh, he, I, I don't know if he's aware of like, what's actually happening in his brain he just says it works for him but I'm assuming there's some sort of psycho uh, somatic connection mm-hmm. wherein if that's the last thing that you're focusing on and your hand is right there, he said that like that's the first thing that you notice in the dream. It, oh, if your mind goes back to that, you're aware that you are... Uh, dreaming. Like, you're aware you're dreaming, so right. you're you're not conscious, but you're in that lucid dream state where right. you might be able to actually have control over your dreams and guide yourself in your dreams. So interesting. Yeah, so I, I've just been trying to open myself up more to my curiosity for the dream world because it was always a very, not always, but like from a very young age, I had many nightmares, many mm-hmm. night terrors, and they just got worse and worse until my insomnia basically took over. <laughs> Guys, I'm a bundle of joy to hang out with when I'm awake. <laughs> Live off insane amounts of coffee. So Maybe that, that's why you have insomnia. Hey, <laughs> hey, let's have five can... coffees today. <laughs> oh, if only it were only five at this point. Uh, <laughs> She says as she goes to sip her Starbucks again. Starbucks endorse us. <laughs> so that's what I've been focusing on, and that's my that's my one cool thing. Is the opposite, not the daytime, the nighttime before you go into that other world. Right, and that uh, that's important because that's when your brain needs to really like restore everything mm-hmm. and really get ready, and it kind of processes everything that happened. Right, so if you're not processing well and resting, then no wonder we can be so tired or drained the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's one of the biggest frustrations I have been experiencing ever since my last big concussion. Right. Was the focus, the ability to focus. And I've and done memory. a lot of, And memory, yeah. Forming <laughs> new memories are so hard. And I was not aware of how important sleep was yeah. for the restoration of your brain, for, for your entire body, for right. every cell in your body. When you go to sleep, that is that is literally part of the cycle that keeps you alive. Yeah. <laughs> so after my last bad concussion, um, it, my focus was just not the same. I knew I was very aware of how my brain didn't function on the same sort of level anymore. Mm-hmm. And that fed into triggering anger all the time for me. I was always frustrated if I couldn't focus long enough, if I couldn't do... Uh, co- complete a task or do something at the same level of ability that, that I knew to, I would have been yeah. able to do before my concussions. Yeah, mm-hmm. I totally feel that. And yeah, I think with concussions too, there's um, that artist that I mentioned I connected with who also had a concussion. I think what we can all kind of agree on is they're so poorly studied. Um, yeah. Even like neuropsychiatrists and other brain specialists will say the same where there just isn't enough information and MRIs can't always show everything that's wrong and they're kind of overseen as a mild brain injury just because you don't have an internal bleeding (laughs) and it's kind of like do I really need to have an internal bleeding to be taken seriously right and uh, so uh, (laughs) it's just crazy how we don't have enough resources or an understanding to like kind of help people deal with the pain that comes with that mentally emotionally physically neurologically it just stems in so many ways Uh yeah well guys we started off in pain and some of us i guess a little hung right over (laughs) (laughs) how are we feeling now after the talk great liar (laughs) i had two extra strength tylenols i'm fantastic now Fear and I are just like sprawled like, out kind across of the couch. Yeah. <laughs> We've kind of just like moved from chair to couch to floor like cats in different positions throughout the conversation. <laughs> just so the audience members get a visual. <laughs> That's what today's podcast was about. <laughs> cat Again, stretches. 
Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We will keep in touch with your next projects. Yes, I'm excited. Oh, I just got a message from Philippe. Kales, help. That's all it says. Uh Uh-oh. And that was recording. Ha. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.